So our message today on this July 21st, 2013 is something that is unusual for us. We ripped it from the headlines. Rosary beads and Twitter feeds. Come on now. I don't watch TV anymore, but occasionally I get to read a paper. It's a rag full of lies. But at the same time, at least it lets me know what people are lying about. The media plays such an interesting role in our lives when you come right down to it. I've had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple times, and Israel is one of those interesting places that what happens to Israel is at large what happens to the Christian world. Or rather, I should say our fate is tied to Israel's because they are the chosen people of God, and you and I have been grafted into the promises they received. And when I was there in 1997, I got to meet my Michael Frowned. He had served as the deputy communication director for Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. He worked with him from 1996 to 1999. That's kind of like their uh, press secretary, if you will. Now, he's gone on to do a bunch of things, and you can find him writing articles for the Jerusalem Post. You can find his website that has to do with returning to Israel and making Aliyah. But one of the things that he told us that just changed the way that I thought about the media, it's one of the reasons that I don't watch TV, he looked me square in the eye and he said, you're a pastor, young man? He found it as hard to believe as I find it hard to believe. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, what you may not understand is the media cannot tell you what to think, but they most certainly are determining what you think about. And the more I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's true. When I wake up in the morning and I have no other input, I read the Word of God, and the Word of God is what I think about. When I turn on whatever news channel you might turn on, you're thinking about whatever they talked about. And to some extent, they then dictate how your day goes, or at least influence how it goes. As a, a case example, my second trip to Israel was in 2004, and that was an interesting year. In 2004... We had the Abu Ghraib, a grave uh, incident. How many of you remember what that is? Give me a show of hands. How many of you know who Nick Berg is? Well, look at that. We got a room full of about 150 people. Not one person raised their hand knowing who Nick Berg is. It happened also in 2004. He was a Jewish businessman who had gone to Iraq. An Islamist caught him and cut off his head and put it on TV and the Internet around the world. They videotaped his beheading. Now, we all know about an atrocity where men took pictures of indecent acts. But nobody in here knew about Nick Berg. You know why? The media coverage was 10 to 1. It was 10 to 1 Abu Ghraib because it fits a certain narrative, and it was 1 Nick Berg. But if you were Nick Berg's mama and daddy, how would you feel about what happened? See, if it was personal to you, how important would it be? My point here as we move forward in this message is we cannot let the world tell us what is important to us. The scripture of the living God needs to tell us what is important to us. Otherwise, the devil will use it to divide us. You know, one of the things that Michael Frown told us that was funny, he said, you guys think you have liberal press in the United States. You, you don't know what liberal is until you've come to Israel. Well, we were young Bible students, and so that surprised us. He said, you know, please don't be offended. We're Jewish, and we love what Jesus has done for you, he said, but Jesus is, is not Messiah to me. And so I wanted to demonstrate. This was him speaking, of course, not me. And he said, I wanted to demonstrate 
the excellency of Benjamin Netanyahu. So I had him go out to the Sea of Galilee and he took off his shoes in front of the press and he rolled up his pants and he walked across the Sea of Galilee. Now, obviously a bunch of pastors are hanging on the edge of our seat with a statement like that. Said he woke up the next morning to find that the headline read, Benjamin Netanyahu cannot swim. You know, they learn to turn a phrase in any way that they want. But the Word of God is not like that. The Word of God is refined seven times over. It's purer than silver, more precious than gold. We sing those songs, but do you value it as much as you value your 23rd channel on your TV? You know, in 2012, we had an attack on American uh, diplomats. It was in Benghazi. Right now, what's big in the news is that George Zimmerman shot Trevon Martin. Y'all all heard about that? Anybody here not heard about it? I mean, everywhere I go, it's the subject of discussion. I would rather that Jesus be the subject of discussion, but it's not. And it's because it fits a certain narrative. Now, interestingly enough, quite a few Americans were killed in barbarous ways. I mean, butcherous ways. Again, by Islamist terrorists. Nobody's talking about that. George Zimmerman is one of the most hated men in America by many right now. A lot of people want his blood. I think he probably ought to change his name to Ben Ghazi. Everybody would forget him quickly. What makes one life more than another life? What makes one man's blood worth more than another man's blood? That's a question that's worth asking today. And is it worth more because the media tells you it's worth more? And are you enraged because the media tells you to be enraged? What if we treated the Word of God with the same reverence that we treated the media? What if it shaped the way that we thought? What if instead of having a talking head on television dictate what you're thinking about all day, the Word of God did? Turn with me to John 3. Say there when you're there. Y'all mad at me yet? It's going to get worse. Amen, thank you. You've just become my new favorite. Now, I know it's rainy. You can hear the pitter-patter on the ceiling. But the only thing worse than never having entered into the presence of God would be to fall asleep in the presence of God when there is a message there for you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, this is for me today. See, because if you receive something from God, then you'll be able to go out and give something that came from God. And this morning, I received something from God, and I hope you'll have an opportunity to get it. So in the third chapter of John, we start with these words. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, when you hear the word Pharisee, you have been conditioned for 2,000 years to think of a Pharisee as a hypocrite. If you look it up in the Webster's Dictionary, one of the things that it will say as an alternate definition is a, is a hypocrite. But you need to understand in the original audience, they didn't think of Pharisees as hypocrites. You know why? Every Pharisee of whom there were only 3,000 in Jerusalem, only 3,000 card-carrying Pharisees in all of Jerusalem, and yet look how much time they occupy in the Word. Every one of them had all 39 books of the Older Testament memorized. Anybody in here want to stand up and put themselves to that test? 
Many times they tithed in excess of 50% of their income. They were men who stood up against the religious establishment of their day. I know it seems like they were the religious establishment. But they stood up to the party of the Pharisees, I'm sorry, of the Sadducees, who were religious aristocracy. They worked at the temple. And they thought that all worship, all that happened for God that was of any importance happened at the temple. Why? Because it's where they worked. Now, you don't know any church people like that, right? Only place to serve God is in their building. The only place to serve God is with them doing what they do. Friends, the only place to serve the living God is right where he told you to be. The answer to can I serve God anywhere is no, you cannot. You must serve him in the place that he has told you to be. Could that place be anywhere? Yes, you got that part right. This Pharisee was a respected man by virtue of the hard work that he had done in the religion of his day. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know. Do you hear that plural pronoun there? We. There had been a lot of pitter-patter talking about Jesus behind the scenes. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to say. Today, born again has become one of those Christian phrases that's almost trite. Nobody knows what it means. Do you know what the alternate reading here is? Born from above. See, you can be born once on the earth in a natural way, but the Bible declares that you can be born of the substance of heaven in a supernatural way. Right now, people are fighting. They're, they're dividing their lines based on how you feel about a trial, how you feel about the color of people's skin how you feel about the motivations that you assign to their actions. Everywhere we go, this is what is being talked about. And Jesus divides the world into two categories, and it's not black, and it's not white, and it's not Hispanic, and it's not Asian. He divides it into exactly two. Those that have been born in an ordinary way and those who have been born in a supernatural way. Oh, if the church could grab hold of what we are, we are the sons and daughters of God. How dare us go dwell in such petty things as pigmentation of our skin? But this is what we're told is important. And if you're told it enough, you might actually begin to believe it. I tell you the truth. When Jesus said truth, friends, it was truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus asked a very fair question. A lot of preachers have made fun of him. But I happen to be in the boat with Nicodemus in that many times Jesus has said things to me that I didn't quite understand. If he's never said something to you you didn't understand, then you probably have not heard him because his ways are higher than our ways. And his words are spiritually understood. This is why the Bible makes the declaration over and over and over. He who has ears, let him hear. How many of you got ears? But not everybody understands the words of God. They are spiritually discerned. So Nicodemus asked a question. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Now the only reason you're not laughing right now is because you've heard these words before. 
The only reason that you don't find that slightly humorous is because we have been so churchized. We've been so anathematized to what's going on around us by hearing the gospel over and over and over, but very seldom ever seeing people that were actually born of heaven, that we don't find that funny anymore. But I have to imagine that Nicodemus said this with somewhat of a smirk. Do you really believe that a learned and educated man thought that we were talking about entering into his mother's body a second time? This is almost tongue-in-cheek. He does not understand what Jesus is saying, and so the defense is almost humorous. Have you ever been in a difficult situation where you were tempted to just crack a slight joke because you were awkward? Jesus had a way of making people feel awkward. Preachers that don't make you feel awkward, preachers that don't put you on the spot, don't make you feel just a little bit uneasy, are probably not worth their weight in water. And the reason that they're not is Jesus put everybody he ever talked to off balance. You know why? We have an evil inclination, and he did not. We have a sinful nature, and he never yielded to one. And so when you bump up against the rock of righteousness that is Jesus, it ought to leave you feeling a little staggered. Something's wrong when we run into those who represent the living God and we walk away as comfortable as we met them. I read a church sign the other day on our way to play paintball. That's a silly thing, isn't it, playing paintball? Oh, men who pretend to go to war. It reminds me so much of church, and I saw a sign on a church that says, come as you are. I can live with that. The problem is they also leave as they came. When you go to a church, you are supposed to embrace the power of God. And friends, Moses doesn't walk up to a burning bush and walk off the same Moses that he was when he walked up to it. It doesn't work that way. When there is no transformed life, when there is no change, something's wrong. They say Billy Graham was one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. I, I don't know. I'm not here to pick on Billy or anybody else, but let me quote him. He said, America had received enough weak, dead Christianity to inoculate it from the real thing. And it's the truth. You want to prove that it's the truth? Look at demonstrations going on all over our country. They're going on, you know why? They're going on because lost people have told us it's important. Lost people have told us that we have a racial issue instead of a sin issue. I want to tell you something. I am not a white Christian. Matthew is not a... We don't know what color Matthew is. <laughs> and you better not be a black or an Asian Christian. You are a Christian and then whatever you are. Before we read the rest of this in John, let's talk a born of heaven for a minute. Is that okay? Could you put Colossians 3.11 on the screen? I want everybody to see it. It's almost as if the church lost its mind and its Bible all on the same day. Here, where is here? In the presence of God, in the body of Christ. Here there is no Greek or Jew. By the way, that was the world division of the religious people of the day. You're either Jew or Greek. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You're upset that Trayvon Martin was shot. So am I. Every single life on the planet is precious. It is precious. Is his life worth more because they say a white guy shot him? 
Well, let's ask then, why is it that a thousand, one thousand a month, young black men die and nobody cares? But if the media can tell you a Hispanic, of course, they don't say that, huh? Because it's a better story if it's a white guy. If the media says a white guy shot him, all of a sudden Trayvon's life is worth a whole lot more. You know what? Jesus died for both of those men. And the story is not that one was Hispanic and one was black. The story is that they were both sinners and they needed Jesus. And if they're born of heaven, then there's no tragedy in death. And I'm going to submit to you that if they had ever encountered the holiness power of the Spirit, they wouldn't have been where they were at doing what they were doing. We love to make some kind of way that we can get our eye off of the true issue. And we like it because it allows us to hide. It allows us to hide outside of that burning bush power of the Holy Ghost and simply blame people around us. You're looking at a former racist, but you know what happened to me? The living God entered me. And he carved it right out of my life. Nobody in here used to be a racist and got born again? How about a liar and got born again? Oh, my goodness. Y'all help me this morning. I'm sorry that people have said we can't talk about these things. You know what? I haven't found a single thing that Jesus was scared to talk of because he was a dead man walking anyway. What are you? You're supposed to carry your cross daily. You're supposed to take it up and walk with Jesus. Right is right and wrong is wrong and it does not have a color. Let's talk about Jesus' division of the world for a minute. Can you put Matthew 3, 11 on the screen? He did. He divided the world into two kinds. This is John the Baptist speaking of Jesus. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one more powerful than I whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 3.12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Oh, my goodness, saints, if the church could ever grab hold of even one right interpretation of the Scripture. We don't use winnowing forks anymore. In fact, I better not say that. Let me make you mad about the right things and not the wrong things this morning. You know what a winnowing fork is for? It's an instrument of division. The hardworking farmer stabs it into his wheat after the wheat has taken a serious beating. Of course, the church doesn't think we're going to get one of those anymore. We have all of our fancy little doctrines not found in the Bible, like would God beat his bride? Of course, he killed his own son. You beat that wheat. It's confined in a threshing floor, nowhere to go, trapped. And after it's taken a beating, you stab it with a winnowing fork and you throw it in the air. In the wind of the Spirit separates out that which belongs to God from that which belongs to the fire. See, God didn't divide the world as Jew and Greek. He didn't divide the world as black and white. He didn't divide the world as American and everybody else. He divided the world in those he would baptize in the presence of his spirit and those he would burn with fire.
So you tell me something. Is the O.J. Simpson trial or the George Zimmerman trial or any other trial really the issue of the day? Or is the issue of the day, have you been baptized in God's holy presence? See, when you've been touched by the living God, we put petty things behind us. You don't care anymore that you don't know where somebody came from because you can see they've been born of the heavens. Let's go back to John 3. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. I want you to understand something. You cannot go to a six-foot icicle standing stationary behind a pulpit telling you that you are the frozen chosen and find spiritual fire. You can't find it because he can't give you what he doesn't have. You cannot go to the 60-mile-an-hour haircut, silver-suited televangelist that wants to steal your money and find holy fire because he can't give you what he doesn't have. But you can find a janitor pushing a broom that's got that burning bush, raging holiness fire in his heart. And he can give you what he's got. Look at your neighbor and say, I can give you what I got. Oh, you didn't mean it. Tell him again, I can give you what I got. You know why? It's yours to give. And if you don't believe you have something to give, then you got a big problem today. If you don't have something to give, then you stand in this room as a have-not, as a victim, as someone that the world beat into a greasy little spot. But I'm a member of the victorious church of Jesus Christ, and I'm not a have-not. I don't measure my worth by my bank account. I don't measure my worth by the clothes we buy at Walmart or the 20-year-old boots on my feet. My worth is measured by what God has put on deposit inside of me. What do you measure your worth by? I'm here to tell you, church, that we need to solve our identity crisis. We're not black and we're not white and we're not Asian. We are sons of God. And when you see that you're a son of God, you'll be defined by how you see yourself. You showed me a beautiful woman that is terribly insecure and she'll find a way to make herself ugly. You show me even a moderately attractive woman that walks with a confidence. What do the kids call it now? Swagger. And she becomes more beautiful every day. The problem with us is we believe what they've said about us. We've accepted their narrative and we've accepted their lie. And in the name of Jesus, I say the church ought to stand up and find its voice. Now, y'all help a, a brother who's challenged and is not quite as beautiful as some of you. There's not enough pigment in my skin, but that's my mama's fault. That's not my fault. They say, oh, man, you're a white preacher. You better stay away from topics like this. No, you know what I am? I'm filled with the Holy Ghost of God. And it's not a white and black issue. Have we said that enough? It's time the church grows up. It's time we move past this. And if you're fighting these battles on Facebook, get your face in his book. I get a little upset when we go to war with each other and we're supposed to be at war with the devil. I got two boys. And from time to time, they forget that they are not each other's enemy. And one is bigger and stronger. And the other 
is sneakier and stealthier. And who comes out on top really just depends on the circumstance. But as a daddy, I don't allow it. And I don't allow it because my job is to raise sons of God. And so when I find it, I'm telling you what the Holy Ghost is telling the church. You better stop fighting with each other or you'll find yourself at odds with me. It's time that the church put these silly things behind us. You know when you won't care what color your brother is sitting next to you? When they're killing anybody that says they're a Christian. Do you know how I know that? When we go to Kenya, when we go to India, when we go to East Europe, anywhere that we go, the one thing when Christians are a minority that anybody cares about is if you're serious about Jesus, will you stand with me? In Kenya, they call me a munzungu. It means the white. <laughs> and I don't mind it. It's a casual observation. It's a little boy who's never seen somebody that looked different than him. There's not a thing in the world wrong with us noticing that there's differences between us. Those differences were meant to glorify God, not divide us. You cannot read the book of 1 John and come away with the idea that it is okay to be divided from any human being. If you are, you've divided yourself from God. I some kind of love Jesus. Anybody out there love Jesus? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Now, Jesus wasn't from the American South, but if he was, he'd have said, I tell you the truth. And I bet whoever was there would have listened. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again or born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, can I just ask you to be a little bit honest in the church? I mean, that's going to require you to speak to me. It's okay. It's okay if I ask you a question, James. Man, they named the whole Bible after you. King James, can I ask you a question? Do you understand that? If I looked at you and we're talking about born, born of a woman or born of the Spirit, and I said, well, you know, man, it's kind of like the wind. It blows wherever it pleases. You can hear the sound, but you can't tell where it comes from. Are you, is a light bulb going to go off in your head? How about you, Charlie? Is a light bulb, all of a sudden you're going to go, oh, now I understand. Thank you, Jesus, for making it so clear. Anybody in here have that particular experience? Jesus, slick is not the right word. He's altogether lovely. He's righteous. Let's say it this way. He had it together. Now, I told you Pharisees had all 39 books of the Older Testament memorized, didn't I? One of those books is the book of Ecclesiastes. Would you put Ecclesiastes 11.5 on the screen? What would you do without cross-references? What would you do if somebody else hadn't done all the hard work for you? And written all of these things down, except there is no cross-reference in most Bibles that say Ecclesiastes 11.5. And they don't say it because they don't know it. As you do not know the path of the wind, 
or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Is that pertinent to the discussion we're having? What does Nicodemus not understand? He doesn't understand. Born again, how, how's it going to happen? How are we going to get formed? I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. And so Jesus does something that the ancient rabbis called stringing pearls. If I say four scorn and seven years ago, Many of you might recognize that those are the words of Abraham Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address. If I say, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union, if I'd said that 50 years ago, everybody would have known what that is. Today, maybe a handful of you do. The idea of stringing pearls is I can refer to any concept anywhere in the Word, and you better know what it is because you're supposed to be studying the Word. Jesus does not give him an answer in all of its context. He simply refers to the path of the wind and expects Nicodemus to know what he's talking about. Would you have passed that test? Maybe not. Maybe we ought not be so hard on old Nicodemus. Are you all still in John 3? The wind is something that you see, friends. That's not true, is it? The wind is something that you feel. The wind is something that you can hear. The wind is something that you perceive with some of your senses, but not always all of your senses. You tell me what it's like to be born again. Well, I can kind of see it. I see its effects, but I surely feel it. Some things about God cannot be rationalized alone. Some things about God cannot simply be received in your intellect. Some things about God must be perceived with some of your senses and the others are going to have to take it on faith. What have you experienced from the living God? Can you prove it in a lab? You know what the proof of my experience with the living God is? The last 20 years of my life. If you're put on trial, what is your proof of your experience? The church today, just like the media today, has got a quick and easy solution for everything. Your experience is your statement of faith. What happens when you find out the devil quotes scripture? What happens when you find out that a man can state that he believes something all day long, but it might not actually be in his life or heart? Maybe this is how you can have so many that are still divided over the most basic topics that Christianity has to offer. I was a racist for years before I was born again. I was not a racist five minutes after I was born again. You know why? Because when you're born of heaven, such things cannot exist inside of you. First John declares it. Oh, perhaps we best look in the mirror of God's word then. Maybe, maybe a whole bunch of folks have not actually been born of the substance of heaven because they still hate a man they can see, no matter what color he is. Boy, it's quiet, isn't it? The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus was at least honest. He said, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. Now watch, Jesus is going to get rough with him. You are Israel's teacher? That's sarcasm, friends. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, what's that word say? What do you mean, you people? 
What do you mean, you people? See, you can find something racist in anything if you want. What do you mean, you people? Jesus divided the world into two categories. You people who have not been born of heaven and you people who have been born of heaven. You people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? When we cannot get these basic earthly issues right, we cannot move on to the heavenly concepts. But if heaven is born in your heart, the earthly things begin to fall into place. You know why? You're not an African-American. You're not a Dutch-American. You're not a Cajun-American. You're not a white American. You are born of the substance of God and happen to live in America. Your citizenship is in the heavens. And your feet are on the earth. And you came not to bring equality to mankind. You came to help Jesus divide those who would come into the barn and those who would go into the fire. You came to advance the kingdom of God. And your strongest hope is that every human being you meet will find the same mercy you have regardless of the color of their skin. Let's just acknowledge it right up front. Somebody treated you badly. That's been going on since Adam, friends. And I'm just going to tell you we have no idea what color Adam's children were, but one of them killed the other one. Was that racism? We're part of the all the same disease stock. We are part of a sinful human race. One human race. But as Brother Curtis Carter told us when he was preaching, some of you know Curtis. He had to go to work, but I love him. Curtis said, we are now a new species of heaven. We are no longer that diseased human stock. We are now born of the substance of heaven. This is the defining characteristic in a Christian's life. You know, the media doesn't tell you a lot of things. And they don't tell you a lot of things because it doesn't sell newspapers. If we began to divide the world into the saved and the lost, you know what you'd find? 100% of the murderers are lost. But instead, they sell us newspapers by telling us things like black folks make 12% of the population in the United States and 50% of the people murdered in the United States are black. People begin to draw conclusions from all of these things. Maybe we might even find a George Zimmerman. And maybe he did something wrong. I wasn't there. We draw up our lines and we fight. And you know what we ignore? That 92% of all murders in the United States are also committed by black men. Boy, it gets quiet, doesn't it? So what are you going to say then? You're going to say, oh, the problem's those black men? No. The problem is sinners. You know what doesn't happen? Spirit-filled people on fire with the living God. They don't go kill people. They don't do it. You, hey, to balance things out, you want me to give you a statistic on Whitey? Can we do that? When's the last time you ever heard of a serial killer being black? It doesn't occur. The white folks is crazy. <laughs> it never occurs. I don't know why. It's okay to point out the differences. What's not okay is to misunderstand the point. The point is that sin kills. 
You know, there have been, in a year's time, do you know there are more black men killed in the United States than have been killed in Afghanistan and Iraq? Did you know that? Every year. Where's the outcry? No, to the world, a black life, it, it only has value if it was taken by a white guy because then there's a story. But to God, every one of these lives is precious. It's precious. How dare we put up such a smoke screen in the church? How dare we live with it? We're either born of God or we're not born of God. And you know what? When you're born of God, you could care less what color the people are around you. You're now in the minority that is the remnant of the living God. Now, we're not allowed to be political from pulpits. But nobody told Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton. If you love them, I'm sorry. You need eyes that see. These men are extorting. They're extorting the people that they're supposed to serve. And they wear the title reverend. How about we stop putting up with it? How about we laugh out loud when they speak because the things they say are laughable? They actually think we are stupid enough to be treated like children and that we will accept it. I want you to understand the spirit of the living God does not deal in that kind of buffoonery. He does not divide people on the basis of the color or economic status or educational level or anything else. He divides the world based on those who are steeped in sin and those who are being liberated from it. If you want to find a reason to feel persecuted, you don't have to look far if you're a real Christian. Of course, Jesus said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. I probably ought to get on with my message, huh? Let's do that. What do we call this thing? Rosary beads and Twitter feeds. Now I get back to the point. Rosary beads. Now I come from Louisiana. And for whatever reason, Louisiana has a hard time producing a professional football team that wins. They have a hard time beating anybody but Mississippi and everything that's last. And if you really wanted to save the state, you'd have to have an exit tax on I-10. But what am I going to say? This is where I'm from. And I love that God takes the little things and he confounds the wisdom of the wise. Because 100% of our board of overseers used to live in Louisiana. The elders in our church used to live in Louisiana. And one man that I love told me last night, it's a great place to be from. I'm familiar with rosary beads. You feel me? I'm not here to diminish anybody's devotion. I'm not here to beat up on uh, Catholicism as a Protestant. I am here to poke a little fun at it, though. I want to read to you. The rosary is part of the Catholic veneration of Mary. This is a Wikipedia article. The veneration of Mary, which has been promoted by numerous popes. In the 16th century, Pope Pius V introduced the rosary into the Roman Catholic liturgical calendar as the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary is celebrated on October 7th. 
Pope Leo VIII, known as the Rosary Pope, issued 12 encyclicals and five apostolic letters, and on the rosary added the invocation, Queen of the Most Holy Rosary, to the litany of the Loretto. Pope the 12th, Pope Pius XII and his successors actively promoted the veneration of the Virgin and Lords and the Fatima, which is credited with a new resurgence of the rosary within the Catholic Church. Pope Juan Pablo II, John Paul II, whose pontificate had major Marian themes, issued the apostolic letter Rosarium Virginis Mariae, which built on the total Mary devotion pioneered by St. Louis de Montfort. And you know how we have furthered that grand tradition? This week, the Vatican issued a statement for us. They said that if you subscribe to the Pope's Twitter feed, Twitter feed, I feel strange as a grown man talking in terms of tweets and Twitters. If you subscribe to the Twitter feed, It'll be so spiritually beneficial to your life, you can reduce your time in purgatory. Now, I'm seriously happy that there's no purgatory. But if there were a purgatory, some kind of limbo between heaven and hell, you didn't escape it when you left that state you didn't like. Do you really think that subscribing to a man's Twitter feed is going to earn you favor with God? So I had to look up Twitter. Now, I've heard you talk about Twitter, but I've never seen even one tweet, and I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> to me, tweet is what the bird makes the sound before my son shoots it from the second-story window of my house. <laughs> he is. He is a bird murderer. <laughs> he gets on his bunk bed and shoots from behind cover, and the birds just fall, and my Hindu neighbors think they're falling from the sky. <laughs> So when I looked at Twitter, I just got to tell you what they say on their website. Twitter, the fastest, simplest way to stay close to everything you care about. You know, this is really a summary of religion today, isn't it? The fastest, simplest way to stay close to everything you care about. You don't want to light candles anymore. You don't want to pray anymore. You don't want to hurt anymore. Just subscribe to our Twitter feed. You know what the, yeah, I can go ahead and tell you. You know what the cry of the Reformation was? There was really an upset populace. They began to cry out, sola scriptura. We want to be led by the scripture and the scripture alone. Because men who were raising money by selling indulgences to build buildings within the Catholic empire were saying, when coin and coffer box rings from purgatory, a soul springs. Back then, you at least had to pay for it. Now you just subscribe on Twitter. We accept this garbage, friends. We accept it, and we don't think it's laughable. And you say, well, those bad Catholics, are you Protestants really any different? How sits your soul with God? I go to church. Oh, it's that easy? I didn't realize that. How sits your soul with God? He knows my heart. Oh, he doesn't examine your actions. I didn't realize it was that easy. Haven't we all dumbed this thing down just a little bit? You want proof we've dumbed it down a little bit? We're still arguing with 200-year-old issues over race within the church. 
We're still arguing subjects like abortion within the church, and the church has the same divorce rate as the world. You know what that tells you? The church is not the church. Maybe we could learn to identify the church in the way Jesus did, those born of heaven. You know, one of the most interesting things, when you get right down to it, is that Nicodemus did not know his state. Not only did he not know how a man could be born of heaven, he didn't understand while standing before Jesus his true state. Do you know how many people walk into church and leave the same way they came in? There's no brokenness. There's no understanding or recognition of your true state before God. And because of that, we have a Twitter mentality, a rosary bead mentality. What's the minimum I can do and be okay with God? The minimum is not getting the world saved, friends. The minimum is not changing society as we know it. How many of you would like to go for more than the minimum? Then we need to understand what Jesus has actually said here. Let us pick up in the 14th verse of chapter 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this is so popular, this scripture. And again, no one knows what it means. In the medical community, we see a bronze staff and a bronze serpent wrapped around it. They have a neat little Latin name for it. Of course, it originates from Numbers 21 because Jesus, the great rabbi, is stringing pearls again. He's quoted Ecclesiastes 11.5 and expected Nicodemus to understand it. Now he's quoting Numbers 21 and he expects Nicodemus, a teacher in Israel, to understand it. And of course, he does not. And he doesn't because he doesn't know his true state. Turn with me to Numbers 21 and let us see what our state actually is. Say there when you're there. We've reached that place in the message where everybody is quiet again. Numbers 21, verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? To die in the desert. God, why'd you make my life so hard? I saw a shirt the other day, Jose. I thought it was so funny. I'd been shot quite a few times in a paintball game. My church was trying to kill me. And uh, I had about the same chance as that snowball in the hot place of uh, making it through with any level of victory. So I sat out a game. And as I sat out a game, I looked over, and next to me was a group of young Hispanic men. And it... Uh, one of them had a shirt on, and it said, uh, uh, I was, uh, oh, I'm forgetting it now. I didn't choose to be Mexican. I was just lucky. The brother was proud, right? Proud. When we get to a place, though, where we say, you know, my life's the way that my life is. Because God chose for me to be Mexican. My life's the way that it is because God punished me with this white skin. My life's the way that it is because God took all my hair. 
My life's the way that I, it is because of my black skin. We are offending God who made us beautiful. We're offending God who has told us we are uniquely and wonderfully made. We're offending God who designed you and only one of you. How many of you in here are over six feet? You know only 2% of the world's population is over six feet? You're unique. How many of you girls in here are over 5'4"? Did you know that only 3% of the world's population that are female are over 5'4"? You ought to feel especially blessed, huh? Somewhere out there, there's some poor girl who's 5'3 and a half. Dee Dee, you just showed up. <laughs> and she says, my life is so bad because... Guys, God made us unique. And you know what we need? We need to be born of the substance of heaven. They're whining. And they're whining because they think God's against them. Listen to what they say, though. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, no water, and we detest this miserable food. Anybody know what they're eating every day? They detested what came from heaven. They would rather have rosary beads and Twitter feeds. Give us something easy, something we don't have to gather every day, something that on the seventh day we can still gather, something that if we keep overnight won't turn to worms. We hate depending on you every day. We would whole lot rather trust in our own arm. Guys, this is exactly where the church is. It said that in ancient history, a church official looked at somebody and said, the church can no longer say silver and gold we don't have because the church had become rich. And the young man is supposed to have retorted, neither can we say stand up and walk. You need to decide whether you want the power of God or you want the comforts of this world. And I want to tell you a major comfort of this world is a victim status that makes you feel okay to be less than God called you to be. You know what? It's not everyone else's fault. It's our own sin that holds us back. And if we can be born of heaven, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. You know, this used to be the cry of the civil rights movement. It did. Now, even homosexual lifestyles are equated with civil rights. What an insult that a behavior could be associated with the color of somebody's skin. But I've said it many times and I'll say it again today. At least the homosexual movement has this in their favor. They're homosexual full time and they're dedicated to it and so they are changing our nation. What would happen if you Christians were Christian full time and just as dedicated to changing our nation? So I don't hate homosexuals. I love to watch people get free of sinful behavior and be born of the substance of heaven. You can get free from anything that binds you. God will break your chains. He broke mine. And I don't hate that sin any more than I hate the others. You know what is true? We hate everybody else's sin and we love our own. But Jesus hates it all because it killed him. Are you still in Numbers 21? If you're new here, I'm a long-winded preacher. I just am. 
and those seats are padded, and I'm pretty sure that we spend some time giving ourselves a little padding, I bet we could live going beyond the standard hour of penance for your souls. I bet if we were really hungry and thirsty for righteousness, we would want to know the whole story. You want the whole story or half of it? You want the full gospel or half of it? You want the powerless gospel or the power-filled gospel? Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many of the Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Let's go back to Nicodemus. Why is Jesus telling Nicodemus this? You are Israel's teacher, and you don't know what it is to be born of heaven. You are Israel's teacher, and you don't know your true state. You're snake-bitten and dying. Sin is ravaging you. But hold on, Nicodemus. There's a day in which I will be lifted up from the earth the same way Moses lifted up that snake. And if you'll simply look upon me with the kind of loving belief, the kind of trust that causes you to obey me, I will save you the same way that Moses saved the people from the snakes that were killing them. If we simply knew what we were really afflicted with, we think our problems are financial in nature. We think our problems are related to our circumstances. Our problems are related to sin. And when the living God sets us free from sin, when we begin to trample sin underfoot and hold righteousness up, nothing else will matter. You will have been born of heaven. Do you want to be born of heaven? Do you want to walk in the heavenly call? You know, one of the terrible things about sin is it deceives, and people who are trapped in sin don't think they are. I grew up in a house with an alcoholic. He wasn't ever drunk if you asked him. I watched him drive his Harley down the street, you know. Remember that, Jim? And, I mean, it is just swerving all over the road, and he passed my house. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. We're standing in the driveway. Jen in her bathrobe, and I'm standing out there in shorts like, what's he doing? Passed the house up. He couldn't remember which house was his. Pops, what you doing, man? You're so drunk, you don't know where you are. I'm not drunk. That's exactly what the sinful life is like. It says, I'm okay, you're okay, let's just get along. I'm not here to get along. Like Micah 3.8, I'm filled with the Spirit of God to declare the unrighteousness of this people. You know why? Because once you find the problem, you can ask Jesus to fix the problem. When you get to a place where you're broken before him, it makes you open before him. How many of you know what the Beatitudes are? Raise your hand if you know what the Beatitudes are. Now speak out loud in church. Say, I know, Pastor. Oh, the other half of you too. I know, Pastor, what the Beatitudes are. First Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You want the kingdom of heaven? You need to examine your own heart and find out what's not in it. You need to examine your own heart and find out right where you are before God. Is your service to Him lip service only? 
By the way, do you know what they did with that bronze snake? Turn with me to 2 Kings. Why don't we look at that and then we'll find a way to close this thing. Maybe. 2 Kings, look at 18. Oh, I love Hezekiah. If you're used to a preacher with a plan and all of the answers, I don't have them. And I don't have a plan. My whole goal when I stand up here is to hear from God. And 50% of what I'm sharing with you came from listening to y'all prophesy today. I believe that the Holy Ghost is in charge of the service and I don't feel the need to legislate him out. If we're perfectly honest, I don't feel as if I have the right to. I pulled into the parking lot of a church, church that we love, church that has held up a good standard in Baker, Louisiana. And I asked the people standing in the parking lot, is this a full gospel church? Yes, it is. Oh, they were rolling up their window to drive off. Makes you wonder which part they want to leave out, huh? Why would you want to go to any church that does not preach all of the gospel? You're in here today and you're Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran. It makes no difference to me. You know why? I'm a Christian. I don't take my orders from Springfield, Missouri. I don't take my orders from the Vatican. I'm not following in the footsteps of some great reformer. I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus. And what he says matters to me. What the other men said is of mild interest to me. Otherwise, we'll build tombs in their honor and show ourselves to be the sons of hell that many of them were. You love that Martin Luther did good things. Did you know that he tied the hands behind the back of men who wanted to be baptized and drowned them? Did you know that he thought Jews should be herded into ghettos and their holy books burned? We tell the parts of history we want. You know who didn't ever sin? Jesus. Perhaps we could take a note from the second chapter of Corinthians and simply, third chapter of Corinthians and simply, let our lives revolve around him instead of our little denominational standards. Maybe our whole heart could be wrapped up in being broken before him so that he could show us who we should be. Then we wouldn't have such an identity crisis. Are you in 2 Kings 18? In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Do you know who was not Hezekiah's father? David. But in the Bible, you are the son of the man that you act the most like. In the Bible, you can be called the son of Abraham if you act like Abraham and you're the faith of Abraham. And you can be called the son of God if you act like God. You know who has no right to be called the son of God? Those who do not act like him. But Hezekiah walked in the footsteps of David who walked in the footsteps of the living God. He removed the high places and smashed the stone, sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Did you hear that? That snake wrapped around a pole that had saved them 700 years earlier. What did they do? I bet they'd say they venerated it. They called it Nehushtan, and they worshipped 
there. All over the world today, this is what we do. We take yesterday's victory and we hold it up today as if it is the answer. If we could just have Charles Wesley back, if we could just have whoever you admire back, you know what God's not interested in doing? They've already fulfilled their purpose in their generation. He's not interested in bringing them back until the great resurrection. You know what he wants to do? He wants to move you past Twitter feeds and rosary beads. He wants you to stand up in your generation and be counted as a son of God. That's what he wants. Nobody can keep you from doing that but you. God won't even stop you. In that sense... The most powerful thing in the universe, the living God who made us all, gave you the most powerful choice in the universe. You get to decide whether you're going to be a victim or victorious. You get to decide whether or not you're going to be wheat or chaff. I have never met the man who walked up and said, I'm chaff. I've met lots of men who were chaff. But I've never met the man who knew it. Oh, that we could find a broken heart before God and he could show us where we stand with him. Can you trust the Lord enough to be daring? You see verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He commit. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. I love this last one. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. <laughs> you don't think of rebellious as a good trait, and that's because you don't know what you're supposed to be rebelling against. The media is the voice of the world, and the church is happy to dance to their flute that's being played. I'm here to tell you that we are supposed to rebel against such things. We're supposed to stand up and protest it. We're supposed to stand up and say, you've got it all wrong. Both of these men are sinners. And we need to get saved. What happened with old Nicodemus? You know, he heard all this from Jesus. Have you ever wondered what happened to him? In the seventh chapter of John, we find some words about Nicodemus. This comes from John 7, verse 46. I just start reading. You can find it if you want. No one who ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. What's happened is Pharisees and Sadducees have got together. They've used the power of the Sanhedrin to take temple guards and said, go arrest Jesus. And the guards came back and said, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him? To find out what he's doing? Sounds a little bit like Nicodemus is trying to find the courage to stick up for Jesus, doesn't it? When's the last time you stuck up for Jesus in a public way. I grew up with his name as a curse word in my house. I thought his middle initial was H. Now that so cuts my soul when someone says it, I have to respond. 
Has anybody ever stopped you in public and let you know something you were doing was offensive? Happens to me frequently. Why when somebody's standing next to you in Walmart and they're talking about the Lord that died to save us and using his name foully, can you not look at them with great big dripping love and say, hey, I happen to be in love with that guy. Why can't you do that? You can if you've been born of heaven. If the power of the Holy Ghost is in you, he's in you to witness. And if the power of the Holy Ghost is in you to witness, the Holy Ghost in you will yield fruit over time. The same way you put a seed in the earth and it is eventually going to spit out a plant and that plant's going to spit out fruit. So I'm going to ask you, you great leader of the Christian community, where's the fruit? Do we need help learning to evaluate the condition of our hearts? We lay claim to the heavens, but when we look behind us, have we wrought changes on the earth? Because you can, and you were meant to. By the time you get to John 19, who is it that goes to get Jesus' body? You see Joseph of Arimathea and the man named Nicodemus who had gone earlier. By the time you get to the end of Luke, they're laying him in a tomb. You remember what kind of tomb it was? One in which no one had ever been laid. It was cut out of a stone. Sometimes the world doesn't receive Jesus because they've got a stony heart. They don't know the condition of their own hearts. But something was happening in Nicodemus. He was insulted by Jesus. He was embarrassed by Jesus. He was told in a manner of speaking, you're not fit to be a teacher of Israel and you don't know your own condition, but you know what it was doing? It was chipping away at his stony heart. So that by the end of Nicodemus' walk with Jesus, there was a place in Nicodemus' heart for Jesus. Have you been pierced by the gospel or only entertained by it? Have you only met preachers that patted you on the back and said you were a champion? Or is something of the gospel stabbing your heart today? Because Nicodemus had the words of Jesus grinding away at his stony heart. And so Jesus found a place in the heart of Nicodemus. The man doesn't go down in history, at least heaven's history, is the one who came to Jesus at night. I know that's how preachers present him. He goes down in the annals of the heavens. It's the man who first anointed Jesus' dead body, believing he would raise again. The media may never tell the right story about your life, but heaven will whether you like it or not. You get to decide what story is going to be told. Could we stand to our feet?